May the Lord bless you and keep you this morning, my brothers and sisters at Antioch Church in Yolanda, Kenya. I thank you for this opportunity for us to come together and look together at God's holy word, the living and active word of God that he says is sharper than any two-edged sword, that it pierces to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. We don't come together to gather a little information. We actually come to the scriptures to meet the living God as he presents himself in his own word. We're going to take up the first few verses of Romans chapter 1 this morning. Before we do that, let's pray together. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The heavens and earth declare your glory, and we, your children, join with them and say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Lord, thank you that you love us and that you brought us to this very day, to this very moment, to this opportunity to hear your word proclaimed and to encourage one another and build one another up in Christ Jesus. Open the eyes and ears of our understanding that we may see and receive and be changed by your living word this morning through Christ our Lord. Amen. So last time we started with an introduction to the letter of Romans, the book of Romans in the holy canon of scripture. Uh, We want to remember that The writer here is Paul, but he was once Saul. He was a persecutor of Christians, but Jesus called him himself. And we see that in Acts chapter 9 when Saul was actually on the way to Damascus to capture and, and arrest more Christians. And God called him down and he transformed his life instantly. He, he made him blind so that he could make him see. He became blind to the old way of thinking, and he became uh, seeing again to a new way of thinking. And Saul became Paul, and Paul became the greatest Christian, as I understand it, since Christ, who wrote more than half of the New Testament. Uh, he certainly suffered through many, many things, in his service to Christ, and he showed himself to be absolutely solid and true to the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's read these verses today, and then we'll talk about them. Starting in Romans chapter 1 with verse 1, we will, Lord willing, read through verse 7. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship 
equip to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God add his richest blessings to the reading and the understanding and applying of his holy word. Amen. We need remember that this is a letter. It's a book in the Bible, but it began as a letter. And so you might think of this first couple of words almost like a letterhead, like a a business or a ministry or an, another kind of entity would have a letterhead that says the name of the the company or the group or the ministry and then tells what they do and who they are, so to speak. So Paul starts off identifying himself. As we talked about last time, Paul didn't write this with his own hand. He was dictating it to a secretary, Tertius. And so his first word is Paul. He's identifying who's writing them. And by this time, Paul's name was certainly well recognized, and that would have given him a good introduction. This was like a word of endorsement to know that this letter is coming from the Apostle Paul. And then he identifies himself very differently than most people would want to be identified in this day and time. He said, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. That word literally for servant is doulos in the Greek, and it means a bond servant, one who is bound to another. In that context, it would have meant for a period of seven years in the Roman Empire, but Paul was was declaring himself uh, to be a servant, to be a bond servant, to be committed to the Lord Jesus Christ uh, for life and for eternity. But we need to understand the context of servant. A servant has no will apart from the will of his master. His master's will is his will. So when he says he's a servant of Jesus Christ, he is identifying himself as one who is fully, fully committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I'm called to be an apostle. That is Uh, He wasn't one of the original 12, but his authority is equivalent to theirs. He has the authority to write the word of God. He was called. He didn't just up and go. He was called to be an apostle. That is, he was set apart from everything else for the gospel of God, for the good news of God, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ who came as a, as a baby and lived a human perf, perfect human life without sin and then took my place in your place on the cross, died in my place, took my punishment in yours, was buried and rose again and appeared to more than 500 people and then ascended into heaven. So he's identifying himself as a servant and an apostle set apart for the good news of God as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Referring to to Christ 
and the good news of his coming. He said this was promised beforehand through the holy prophets in the holy scriptures concerning the son, that's the S-O-N, who is descended from David according to the flesh, that is, his line through which he, he came was through David, but he was also declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness, that is, the Holy Spirit. And it is by his resurrection from the dead, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who was dead, buried, and on the third day he rose from the dead and thereby, and then ascended, of course, later and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. So his, the evidence of his being the Messiah, his being the Son of God in power is irrefutable as it's laid out in the Holy Scriptures, and as we have, who have been born again have experienced personally in our lives through the presence of Christ in us. He says, through whom, through Jesus Christ, we have received, all that are in Christ have received grace and apostleship to follow after him. We're not set aside as one of the apostles in the sense that Paul was, but we are called to be followers of Christ Jesus. He says, uh, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. So we're called by the grace of God to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ and listen to what the purpose is to bring about the obedience of faith, the obedience of faith. That is not that, that we do something in order to be right, but that because of our faith, in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It also is a gift of God not a result of works, not a result of what we've done, so that none of us may boast, for we, for we are created in Christ Jesus by the, by the work of God. He's done everything. We simply receive the gift of eternal life as a, as a gift, as an act of God's grace. And the key that initiates that is faith. And he says, even that is not from us. It also is a gift of God so that we are not in a position to boast. So to bring about the obedience of faith is for those who place their faith in Christ Jesus to be obedient, to trust and obey the Lord Jesus Christ. And why? For the sake of his name among all the nations. When we are living our daily lives, we are living as Christians for the sake of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ among all the nations, wherever we are. You're in Kenya, I'm in the United States, but regardless of where we are, it's all for the glory of God. It's for the, the working of the Christian faith throughout all the nations, including those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. We are called, it's God's will that none should be lost, that all should come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
So that's to be our life's work. We, we may be employed in various capacities. You may be a teacher or a policeman. You may be a craftsman or, or many other things. But those are simply the duty stations from which we serve God. Those are not our ultimate purposes. Those are simply the place from which we live out our ultimate purpose, and that is to follow Jesus Christ, to witness to him by our, by our lives, uh, and to bring about the obedience of faith by living out the Christian life among those and before those that we live out our daily lives. And then he addresses, so that's like his address and his purpose statement. And then he says who this letter is to. is to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. And of course, that's the original destination of the letter. But it's also in that time frame known that letters were also shared with other churches. This was to a church in Rome. I think I told you this in the introduction, but that church was made up of both Jewish Christians, Jewish converts to Christianity, and Gentile Christians, and he was addressing a number of issues, uh, including disputes between them that he had heard about regarding certain Jewish regulations and, and their efforts to require the Gentiles to comply with those and the back and forth of that kind of relationship. So, but he's, he's writing to them, but he's also writing to you and I. Uh, we are loved by God and we're called to be saints as well. And then he concludes this section with a, a greeting that is, is wonderful in the English language, but it's deeper than what the English words indicate. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is uh, the, the grace that he's speaking of here, that there, God's grace manifests itself in different ways. There's saving grace, the grace that God pours out on us that, that calls us to salvation and allows us to be saved. But it's also the grace of God that we draw each breath. It's the grace of God that we're enabled to live daily before God. So he's, he's basically praying a blessing over them saying, may God give you grace and give you peace. And that is a deep peace. That's not the absence of war. That's the presence of the peace of God that passes all understanding that Paul writes about in another place in Philippians chapter 4. The peace of God that comes from God our Father. It comes from knowing that God is just who he says he is and he does what he says he does that he is all-powerful, ever-present, all-knowing, never-changing, eternal, infinite, holy, fair, loving, gracious God who cares about you and he cares about me and he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So the grace and the peace that he's talking about is so just beyond our ability to t completely take in, but he's praying that blessing over them and over you and I 
from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What an amazing opening to this beautiful letter that we call the book of Romans. I pray that we would continue to read on this and meditate on these words and that these words would pierce the deepest part of our being and they would continue to draw us to himself, to Christ, and to reveal Christ to us, in us, and through us, all for his glory. God, God bless you, and I look forward to our next session, Lord willing, when we will start with chapter 1 and verse 8. God bless you.